back to the rewind i'm josh and this is a podcast where i watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends today's episode is about cruella and i am very happy to be joined by my friend maya to talk about this one maya thanks for being here thanks for having me josh yeah i'm really glad you could be here i just had a feeling that this might be a maya type of movie uh i don't know why she, we hadn't had her since December. She's our Marvel correspondent, but I just kind of had an inkling she might be an Emma Stone person. She might like this. Uh, she might like this subject matter, and I don't know. I, I, I think I had a good hunch, didn't I, Maya? I think you were a hundred percent right because, as you know, I actually used to have a Pongo doll as a child. I'm a big fan of 101 Dalmatians. I love the Glenn Close adaptation, and you know what? I was a little bit hesitant when I heard this movie was coming out, but I was going to watch it anyway. Just bite the bullet, pay the $30, and I was so happy that I did that. I was obviously, I was quite skeptical too. I mean, I didn't, I, I never like totally write off seeing a movie because if someone wants to talk about it on the podcast, I'll go see just about anything. But I was still just like, I was like, do we really need this? You know, and, 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 and but like, I thought the first trailer looked pretty interesting. So then I was in and then I, and then I ended up going to see it. And it tell, and as we uh, mentioned before, it uh, stars Emma Stone as the, uh, younger version of Cruella DeVille, the villain from the 101 Dalmatians movie. It's her origin, origin story. So obviously people are kind of skeptical. Do we want to do Joker, but for 101 Dalmatians? Which basically what like some people are derisively saying. Uh, the movie has a lot of really talented people behind it, though. It was directed by Craig Gillespie, who also did Lars and the Real Girl and 2017's I, Tanya, amongst other things. It is written by Dana Fox and Tony McNamara, the latter of whom collaborated with Emma Stone on The Favorite, the great movie from fall of 2018. Uh, uh, one of the story credits, it belongs to Aileen Brosh McKenna, who uh, people might recognize that name because she wrote a movie that shares a lot of DNA with this one beyond her name, The Devil Wears Prada. When we start the movie out, Estella Miller is a creative child. She has a, a talent for fashion designing, but she has a pretty cruel streak, which uh, leads her mother to kind of name her alter ego, Cruella. Uh, due to her rebellious nature, she gets in trouble at school, uh, gets, uh, I don't know, there's a little funny scene where it's a little debatable whether she gets kicked out of school or whether she her mother withdraws her from school but either way she goes away and they decide to move to london on the way there her mom needs to get some funds so she stops at the party being thrown by a wealthy baroness baroness von hellman to ask for some financial assistance we don't know the full extent of that relationship at the time but estella witnesses her mother uh being pushed off a cliff by the baroness's uh ferocious dalmatian dogs uh now now an orphan estella finds her way to london befriends two kids on the street named jasper and horace 10 years later she is still living with jasper and horace who are now played by joel fry and paul walter hauser respectively they're making their way as grifters thieves and she designs all the costumes for their schemes uh but she still dreams of being a fashion designer and uh kind of weasels her way into a very very entry-level job at a department store and uh that kind of leads to her getting a job uh with the baroness who's actually a fashion designer who is played by emma thompson but then when she realizes the baroness has played a role in her mother's death uh she sets out to upstage the baroness's business by pulling off elaborate stunts in character as her alter ego corella deville while wearing a bunch of fabulous outfits uh maya did you like this movie 
This movie was everything I could have hoped for and more. It had fashion. It had drama. It had comedy. It had dogs. I loved it. I couldn't complain. All they needed was a musical number, and it would have been a perfect movie for me. Yeah, well, it doesn't have a musical number, but it has like a very, very uh, loaded uh, score. Uh, very not, It has a score done by Nicholas Bertel, who's one of the best composers working, but that's kind of upstaged by just the soundtrack, which just has a bunch of timely uh, musical cues. And you know what? I actually, I was watching it with my boyfriend, Dustin, and mm-hmm. the first thing that he said, and I know that you're going to laugh at this, is, wow, see, this is how you make a score, Zack Snyder. Please <laughs> make a score like this, Zack Snyder. Yeah, well, I mean, you can't go wrong with uh, Nicholas Bertel, who, you know, did all the, who scored, a, who scored a bunch of things, but most notably is Barry Jenkins' collaborator on Moonlight and uh, Beale Street Could Talk, and did the theme for Succession, uh, which is just like uh, one of the, probably the best uh, best theme song out there for uh, any TV show currently on the air. You know, I, I would agree, I, I wholly agree with you that it was fun, but I still think that like, and I thought it was really fun in spite of the fact that again, I was skeptical like a lot of people who were like, do we need a villain origin story for Cruella DeVille? Who asked for this? Is it necessary? And we were texting about it a little bit earlier. Uh, you said, no, I love getting the context for these villains. So I think you're kind of in the minority for something like that. So are you, uh, you actually support these stories in general or you just thought I'm so interested in Cruella DeVille as a character as, uh, given that I've followed 101 Dalmatians canon that I'm interested in this villain origin story? I am interested in any villain origin story and I'll explain to you why for two different reasons. Mm-hmm. Reason number one, I'm an English major. I <laughs> love a fantastically written character arc and especially you know and I also did theater one of the things that you explore when you kind of delve into a character is you make up their backstory in order to sort of um, enhance the motivation for the character and they did this they did this in such an effortless way that you you almost forget that you're writing um, basically a lead up to 101 Dalmatians to the point where definitely leads to a sequel if they do it in the future fantastic if not you know also great And number two is it expands the universe for beloved characters and beloved films. And, you know, the one thing that we have seen with Star Wars, with Marvel, is that expanding a universe in the Disney world is not something that they're afraid of. So I'm just going to let them do their thing because they do it really well. Well, see... Okay, and I'll say this. I mean, anyone that like kind of saw this and thought it was going to be like super dark and not that fun. I mean, the trailer didn't make it seem like that way. But like anyone who sees villain origin story and thinks it's going to be a bit of a drag, because honestly, that's what I think Joker was. Uh, I think you've heard my and I say enough times it's fun. But I kind of want to go ahead and spoil the spoil some of the uh, later notes of the movie. So anyone that's worried about having this movie spoiled, that you can go away and come back later. The movie's widely available. Again, it's fun. And if that's what you're worried about it not being, then you don't have to worry about that. But I'm going to spoil it right now. And I'll say the one thing I was worried about, Maya, was that I, again, I thought I had a lot of fun, but it was also kind of like feeling dread the whole time I was watching it because of the nature of this story. It's like, we're going to have to see how this woman becomes a puppy killer. I mean, that's, that, I'm, I'm, th- I'm having this fun time. I mean, Emma Stone is just having a blast. She looks fabulous. There's all these fun set pieces, all these, all this fun music. And I'm just like, I'm enjoying it. And I'm pleasantly surprised at how much I'm enjoying it. But at the same time, I just have this feeling of dregs. I'm like, I'm going to have to see this woman become a puppy killer. And it's just, it's, something bad's going to happen here. And nothing. Yeah, the 1960s were a crazy time, but they were just <laughs> able to release this movie and people just completely normalized a child movie about dogs becoming a coat. I, I mean, it's weird. Right. But at the same time, you're right. Well, yes, but my thing was, I think I liked the movie so much because it didn't fully go there. You mentioned a possible sequel, which I guess is something they could do. 
I mean, you know, I it, they don't need to, but they could. I mean, they're going to do a Joker too. I guess it'll might depend on how much money this movie makes and if Ellen Emma Stone. Yeah, they're doing another Joker. I mean, who knows? There's still time for that to fall apart. But I mean, it, look, it made over a billion dollars. Don't act so surprised. That's perfection, though. I, I mean, like this is the thing that gets me about like this this industry is that there's so much saturation of you know another film and another film and like joker the joker movie stands alone very well and it does a fantastic job just don't do it well, and for this movie the reason why i would be okay with them doing a sequel is because it's fun again we'll just have to repeat it it's a fun well, way that they took this movie well first of all i i think we actually disagree on joker that's a conversation for another day but the fact is oh, when, 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 when a movie makes that much money like it's not shocking if they decide to go there and it had, and it had one got, got a bunch of oscars too like i'm all about preserving the craft of it and plus i can't imagine joaquin phoenix in like in a sequel i just i can't see him doing that well the thing is i get it you're okay with a sequel to corella because it's fun but at some point it, it has to cease to be fun when she like becomes as evil and i think this movie it, it ends in an interesting place because it doesn't quite get to that point i want to talk about the different the different notes that it ends on but right. uh the fact is like what i'll say actually is that because I had that dreaded feeling the whole movie, I found myself, and I, I'm sure you would agree with me even if you uh, are maybe a little more into the movie than I am on the whole. I found myself thinking the whole time I'm watching this, this is going to take a bad turn. It's not going to be fun. I'm going to watch this fun character become a puppy killer. It's not fun. I would rather have a movie with all these talented people who have all worked on things before in the past that I've really liked. I would like them to make a movie that stars Emma Stone. First, fine as a British person because she earned the right to do the British accent because she was very good in the favorite. Okay, okay. I, yep. I I want her to play a young woman in early 1970s Britain trying to make it in the fashion industry, and I think I'd watch the hell out of that kind of movie. I just think it would be a lot of fun, and that way I don't need all the baggage that comes with like having a dark traumatic past and a dark traumatic future with the, this character of Corella. And again, I liked Cruella, but I found myself thinking that, which makes me hesitant to think, like, what's coming down the pike with a sequel where you got to get closer to the puppy killing, you know? Yeah, I understand. I just think that you're focusing, like, you're you're right in that, um, you know, watching a woman, especially like an Emma Stone type character, make it in the fashion world in the 1970s. Also, quick sidebar, would a perfect follow-up have been the Phantom Thread? I think so. I personally believe that that was a perfect follow-up to this movie, and I almost watched it immediately afterwards. And but you know, I digress. I think that you have a good point in you know, preserving the nature of this characterization um, that is a little bit more lighthearted, um, and that sort of it gives you. I want to say hints. It's it's like when you're making a soup and you have hints of something like that. That was enough. It was perfectly done. Um, I, and I do agree with you, like, in the, in the one aspect. And the other one, I kind of didn't think that Emma Stone could ever be this dark. I mean, the last time we saw her in a character this dark was Birdman, I think. Uh, yes. I, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the favorite is comedy, ha, has a couple, has a couple dark moments. And I never, I, I never watched that show she did with Jonah Hill on Netflix, Maniac. Um, so I don't know exactly what places that went to. Apparently it's a very weird show, if nothing else. Psychedelic show, but she never, it wasn't, I'm going to say that was going to be dark just in the nature of it, but her specifically, her acting, like I wanted to see her go full on evil. I was, I was gaming for it because I know that this actress has range and she has been put into like this, you know, female leading romantic character comedy for, I mean, like I'm just throwing out genres out there, but you know what I mean? 
for so long. And I think she's got so much range out there and she could be something fantastic. She's already won an Oscar. No, I, I totally agree. She has a lot of range and I, I think she has the capacity to go super dark if you want to. I guess, I mean, again, they like you said, they just kind of like let it, they, they let it fall, they let it kind of fall by the wayside. No one got that concerned when Disney first made this stuff about a woman that like wants to kill puppies. So I guess when it's live action and you're dealing with actual real looking dogs, like I don't know how far you can push that in a Disney movie. And at a certain point, you're asking her to get really dark. When does it cease? When does it cease to become a movie for kids? Well, they did it already. They did it with Glenn Close. And you know what? Me watching that <laughs> theaters as a child, I didn't even notice that they were doing it. I'm just like, oh, Fair. we're going to get the bad lady. But she's also dressed really fashionably. But <laughs> her is also bad. Like, that was the moral that I took from this movie. No, like, when I was a child. No, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. I guess I just like, you know, I just thought it found it interesting that like, you know, Joker ends Joker itself. That ends in like some really messed up shit happening. You know, it, it does go to that point here. Uh, in we, we, hell, we can talk about the end right now, uh, and what we can go work our way backward to talk about other stuff we liked in, in in the middle. I did like the end. I liked how creative it was. I mean, sure. I mean, it, it is a. I don't want to say it's an out of nowhere twist, but it's it's a big twist in a movie that's already pretty long to have the Baroness be her actual mother. But I like how creative she was in kind of resolving at least the story of this movie, and uh, you know, set, setting her up for murder and. Uh, but like having the documents already to show that she is her daughter and then uh, willing everything to Cruella. Like I, I like that. It was creative. And I, from what I understand too, and you can speak to this probably better than me, I guess somewhat of a big part of the prior uh, versions of this story involves Cruella not actually always being that nice to her henchmen. From what I understand and from what I've read and heard, that's kind of part of it. So you had her like obviously not being nice to the puppies, but maybe always not being all that nice to the people around her. Here... By the end of the movie, she's kind of like made nice. She's made an ally in the Mark Strong character who plays a, a valet or assistant of some sort to the Baroness and kind of is uh, comes in and provides all the necessary information about her background to help her pull off her ultimate heist. Right. And she alienates her friends who uh, get sick and tired of just doing her schemes for, just for the heck of it and they're just kind of worn out by it. And, um, and that's fine. They're still loyal to her because they have a relationship. They eventually abandon her, but then she comes to their uh, – and they, they kind of abandon her and don't want to help anymore, and then they get arrested, and she comes to their rescue. And it seems like they've, they they agree to help her at the end, and it seems like by the end they've like kind of made nice with her. And she has a friend in the Mark Strong character, so she now has a stable group of friends. She has all the money in the world to go do her fashion thing. I just don't see a way in which like – you know, I, I don't have a sense of what pushes her to the point where she is when she's going close, you know? And I wonder if it... I, I have thought about that. So at the beginning of the movie, when she's talking to her adoptive mother, her mother says, you can't be Cruella right now. You have to be Estella. So she puts her basically in this box. She even metaphorically, you know, covers up her hair. She has very Sia-looking hair at the beginning of the movie. She's born with it, right? Half white, half black, just to show the dichotomy of evil and good. Number one, that number two, because that's what the character had in the actual... Wait, so, that, so that's her natural hair color? That was her. That was, she was born with that hair color. Oh, that's see, I, why they noticed her. Wait, I actually missed like the first thirty seconds of the movie. I don't know if they said that there. She was uh, born with that hair. You see her as a baby with that hair color. Okay. So covers it up in order to mask basically the persona that she knows that she is because she has to be good for her mom versus evil for the Baroness, who is her birth mother. Gotcha. It's, it's, there's, there's nuance to it, you know. Like, and I believe that. Um, one of the reasons maybe why I noticed that is, you know, being a, a daughter who's, you know, very close with my mom, you know, there's certain times when you're like, you're, you're at odds with, you know, with your parent and you want to, you know, rebel, but at the same time you want to live up to their, you know, their hopes and dreams for you and, you know, treat them with the utmost respect. So I think that she's wrestling with who she actually is, which is Cruella. 
um, her the persona that she invented for herself as a child, basically to rebel and to you know boss people around because it's in her nature. Yeah, and I think that's and a good point. Oops. Had to develop a Stella. Yeah, I think that's a good point in that like obviously that some side of her that is somewhat evil is present from the beginning. So I think that's it. That's one. Right. I think I, so I think that's one response to my critique about how everything she seems like she has everything she needs at the end of the movie. How is she going to ultimately get to that point where she's now goes backwards and is like just way more evil? She should be more content. But so it's already there to begin with. And I, I it totally makes sense. She would have some unresolved trauma. She needs to kind of work through at some point, even if like maybe she hasn't gotten there all the way in this at, at the end. And I, I'm saying again, I think I had a better experience on the whole because we didn't go there. So I don't know. So I, I, I don't want to spend too much oh, time. No, I, I was loving when she was just bossing around Jasper and Horace. I got really like nostalgic vibes. And I, I thought that was the most fun part of the movie is when she just goes full Cruella and just the thing is she does she doesn't go full cruella we learn it within the movie that that's not actual dalmatian skin that she is wearing at that one show where everyone's questioning it so the movie does kind of stop short of going there in this movie not she does you know like reference to it she's like you know i bet bet they'd make a nice coat (laughs) yeah she's thinking it she's thinking about it you know like that that uh, maniacal side is there it's definitely there um, I, I think that it makes complete sense, especially in the day and age where we're living in right now, to completely avoid that, um, that topic of conversation. Obviously, there are things that were created in, you know, as recently as the 90s and the 2000s that are controversial, let alone something in the 1960s that has to do with, you know, killing hundreds of puppies. Um, nobody wants to see that. I agree with you. It's a total, not only is it a total bummer, but like, you're going to be watching this movie and more anxious about the dogs and thinking about the characters that are in the thing. But you got something like you have Anita Darling. Like you, they're just, they were plugging at the movie without necessarily replicating or duplicating anything. And, you know, it was tastefully done, I think. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. It's just I guess my my my, my overall thing was I just saw a, I saw I saw a version of this movie that I probably would have liked even more because I wouldn't have been like trying to unpack Cruella's psychology so much and uh, and that's that's a to each their own kind of thing. And I get what you're saying about how you might enjoy like a a darker movie going forward uh, if they want to do another one. And I don't want to spend too much time. I, well, yeah, I don't want to criticize spend too much time criticizing a sequel that hasn't even yet happened. Uh, though, 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 again, like, and you make a fair point in that like little kids still like the first one, even though she was like already evil there. It's just the process of her actually getting to that point, which this one didn't totally do. Even if maybe you could see a couple of signs, I'm not necessarily sure how watchable that would be. And I spent a lot of time analyzing that and worrying about that as I was watching this one. Whereas, like, I was like, I just want to see Emma Stone like in the like the the London punk, punk scene. And that can I'll just be my be movie. Honest with you, I still believe, like, I actually believe that the pitch of the movie was something completely different and had nothing to do with Emma Stone. I think that she was just, it could have played, anybody could have played that character, honestly. like real, And she just happened to have played it well. I think that there was two things that they pitched at this movie, and that's what I ended up getting, um, you know, I'm going to say picked up. Number one, Emma Thompson as a Baroness. Mm-hmm. just that's it that's that's the tweet it was mm-hmm. i mean she was exquisite i love her in everything but man was she good as like a badass bitch i just i loved watching it and number two is paul walter hauser again in a movie that's being done by craig gillespie that was it those were the pitches yeah he plays one of the henchmen in i Tanya and or like kind of the henchman i think in i Tanya, and he's very funny in it and i think it's pretty cool that it's like you know it's one thing to like have Emma Stone go do a, a British accent, like we said. She already showed she could do it, but to let Paul Hal- Walter Hauser do it, and he did it very well, is like it, it's really cool that they had that faith in him. And it's fun to see like more American actors in a movie kind of infiltrating uh, the British roles, where usually it's the other way around. Uh, so and I, I think people 
sleep on him as an actor. You know, uh, Richard Jewell was, I feel like it should have gotten a little bit more credit, especially his role in it. He was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I would have rather, was... rather him got an Oscar nomination than Kathy Bates uh, for that movie, even if I was just kind of meh on the movie as a whole. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, and like the, there's just certain actors where you kind of want to just stop everything to watch them in a movie, but they really nailed it with the casting. You know, I'm a very big fan of The Good Place, so I love... Um, Kirby Howell Baptiste, who played Anita Darling. I was, I, I mean, we've just been rewatching it. Dustin's watching it for the first time. So, oh. um, ima- imagine, by the way, watching the first season of The Good Place in one night and like that whole big, yeah, I was waiting for it. And then it's just like getting at the end of the night and he's like, oh my God, that's spoiler. I can't believe it. I'm like, I, I'm so happy that you stayed with me this entire season because he was not enjoying it. That's my sign. Yeah, no, no the, the, end, the end of that season is pretty great. Yeah. It's fantastic. And it's also, um, I don't know if you've seen What We Do in the Shadows, but there's two um, actors from What We Do in the Shadows. Well, one of them is actually the brother of one of the actors from What We Do in the Shadows. But they play, um, have you ever heard of it? No, I love What We Do in the Shadows. I'm not sure where oh, you're going amazing. with this. Yeah, yeah. The guy who played Roger is the, um, it's, what's it called? The guy who plays, ah, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, Nandor. He plays oh, Nando. Yeah, yeah. So he was there. And he's one of those people who can kind of like mesh in. And the um, the clerk from the store, Gerald, you mean... his sister is the main girl from What We Do in the Shadows. Hmm. Yeah. So I was like loving these little Easter eggs. Like when you watch an actor and you love them in something else and you just like you get thrilled. This was, this was like that perfect melting pot for me of like all these actors that I love and like their big character roles just like shining on screen. I loved it. Yeah, no, um, certainly, uh, certainly very well cast from uh, top to bottom. I was wondering uh, more specifically on the, uh, and, and I'll say uh, very well shot. Like all those, all those set pieces are really fun, particularly the first party that she crashes at the Baroness's house, in which uh, I, I would say Emma Stone also just looks incredible uh, in that, the, the way they do the makeup. It's going to get all the Oscar nominations for makeup and hairstyling and uh, costumes and all that. Uh, you know, th- that, that being said, I know enough to look at a movie that's going to get Oscar nominations for costumes and makeup, but I don't actually like, I don't actually have the taste to comment on that all that specifically myself. Did the costumes uh, exceed your expectations in this movie? Absolutely. They, they played with a really modern touch. I actually, I've also been watching Halston recently. So like I was, I don't know what that is. You don't know what that is? No. What's Halston? All right. It's, it's basically, it's about a fashion designer um, played by Ewan McGregor. It's on Netflix. I'm not going to say it's like a must watch. It's okay. But I love, so since the devil wears Prada, since actually that is really like the origin of all of this, I loved watching movies that have to do with fashion or like just designing. And this kind of, it scratched that itch for me. And I just, when she walked in with that, you know, that black and white dress and then just faded into the red dress, I was like, yes, it's going to win. I'm looking forward to these, you know, makeup, hairstyling and costume Oscars because it deserves it. And the, it, you deserve to have a little fun with high fashion. And I think that everyone deserve, deserves that luxury specifically when it comes to like something like the pandemic where most of us have been wearing square sweatpants nonstop. Um, I loved watching a movie where it really did elegance in, in such a, in a fiery and a unique light. It accomplished all that while actually like, you know, uh, just like the character work was strong enough that like even this, the, the statement the dress made really resonates because you, I mean, they, they straight up say it, but like you just, you see that like you hear, oh, well, 
the Baroness just doesn't like anyone upstaging her at her events. And, okay, so you kind of get what they mean by that, but then you see how she looks, and you're like, oh, snap. What is she going to say to that? Like, it's just like it's such a it's such a great uh, needle drop moment, basically. Uh, and, and what better person to upstage than her own daughter, like plot twist at the end. Like, I loved a lot. Honestly, I feel like knowing that they were mother and daughter just watching them like cat fight was also kind of enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, that, God, it's, it's hard to like overstate just how bad of a person the uh, the the, Baron, the, Bar- the Baroness actually is. It's like it's a kids movie, and it's like, person. oh no, yep, gave up her daughter, but didn't just give her up for adoption, ordered her killed, which is like extremely dark for a for for a Disney movie. Regardless of the um, regardless of where they went with uh, Cruella, the character, they they already got plenty dark with the Baroness. That's for sure with how uh, evil she was. But but yeah, so I mean, I I just uh, I I really enjoyed it, and you know, I, I can't be said enough. Despite my other criticisms about. Uh, uh, the movie and uh, whether it went to all the right places with the story, or even if this is the story I wanted, I want to reiterate again that I still personally had a ton of fun at the movie. And I think uh, we, we already talked about her some and uh, over and over again, but I just have a lot of respect for Emma Stone that she's like, d- didn't decide that she's like too good for something like this also, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think we, anyone that follows her knows her personality can kind of see why she would like to do something like this. But at the same time, once you, once you've become like a three time Oscar nominated actress. Um, and I guess it's not uncommon for like actors like that to like take, you know, fun roles or big budget blockbuster roles or something like that. But it's like, to like sink your teeth into something like this that a lot of people she you have to understand a lot of people are gonna say it's a bad idea even if they're ultimately proven wrong like people are gonna roll their eyes when they hear that's the origin story uh they're gonna say is that do we really need that uh it's kind of a weird story that stems from a kid's movie it's just like a lot of like barriers people have to get over to even get into the movie in the first place so i really appreciate emma stone like totally sinking her teeth into it and just clearly going all out i just really really admire her and admire just how uh, all d- just admire just how she put everything into this performance and uh, went dark, was funny. Uh, obviously, spent a ton of time in the makeup chair, so she had to have worked hard. I, it, she just carries the movie. Oh, I'm, I would be remiss if we didn't mention Maleficent. You know, I think that they've already you know started off this trend. You know, Disney is trying to re-engage and you know hit that nostalgia factor for some of their um, older audiences. So. For us watching this movie, the reason why we can be so, you know, perceptive about it is because we knew the characters when we were growing up in a different light. So something like a Maleficent, when they ended up, you know, casting Angelina Jolie and Elle Fanning in that movie, you know, they cast powerhouse actors in, in a little dinky little fairy movie. And you know what? It was enjoyable. It was it the best movie ever. No. But people love to, you know, um, transpose themselves into things that are fantastical. And I think... You know, what better way to watch, I'm going to say, such badass female actors, you know, just doing everything for the sake of fashion and, you know, I don't know, looking amazing. (laughs) I love a movie like, I needed a movie like that, honestly. It made me feel super empowered in a weird way, like to just, oh, I'm going to wake up in the morning and like not just put on something that's comfortable. Like I'm going to put on something that's fashionable, that's nice. That movie scratched that itch. It was really the right time for it to come out. I know that they waited a year for them to to release it, but it came out at the perfect time. I think that, um, you know, I I will not be the only other woman who watches this movie that doesn't feel like, I don't know, I need to take charge afterwards. Do we know where she was getting the money for all these stunts? I don't know. They stole it, right? I mean... I guess that's the thing. That's that's what they did for a living. Maybe they were doing other jobs on the side, but it's not like they were living a life of luxury necessarily. They might have stolen some nice things here and then. But here, they, they, 
necessarily live poor lives. Like thieves are thieving, um, and at a certain point, like they thieve enough where they're able to, you know, live off of their proceeds. It's still work. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I suppose. I mean, it's not. It's something I got that hung up on. It, it was a thought I had though, because then she like, she basically hires this guy that runs this boutique that she makes friends with, Artie, out of a out of a shop somewhere in London, and just like starts having him like help work for her to make even better outfits. And yeah, it's like versus stealing money, they spent money. I mean, like it's. I think it's true. Possible. Okay. Yeah. I, I was just curious. I'm like, oh man, you're really going all out here to keep up with like the rich, rich, rich Baroness again. And I, I want to second what you said earlier. Uh, Emma Thompson, very fun. I think a lot of people are just gonna um are are, are just gonna like you know not totally unfairly like just kind of compare it to um uh, Miranda Priestly. But I was, but but, but that's. It, I mean, let's be realistic. Isn't Emma Thompson the British Meryl Streep? That's a fair point. Yes, yeah, probably. Like, come on. It's it's a completely fair comparison. And you can really compare Anne Hathaway to Emma Stone. Sure. I think there's definitely similarities on, on both ends, even the fact that uh, I think, uh, though I think, uh, you know, ma- 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 maybe Meryl Streep said no to Corella because we know she can do a British accent too if she really wants to. <laughs> She's already been there, done that with Into the Woods, though. She played the witch true she's yeah she's she's already done too much uh it was i'm glad emma thompson got a chance to sink her teeth into something like this as well if if she wanted to because i mean it's just like i mean it's just really fun like and I, and I, it can't be said enough you know sometimes movies get criticized for you know t- tonal shifts or going too far one way or the other and i sometimes movies get criticized for maybe having a little tonal imbalance going too much one way or the other or whiplash or whatever and i don't know i just thought it did, it did the, as dark as it wanted to get, even if it wasn't as dark as I was expecting or thought it necessarily needed to to be consistent with the character. It is effective, and it does it well when it does go that dark. And I, at least for me, you know, I think one thing I didn't say was I think a lot of people have been pretty critical of this movie. It got good reviews on average, but, like, I've consumed a lot of people that, like, really didn't like it. And I, and I really don't, can't totally grasp that because I do think it's done really well in just all aspects, whether it be when I they are trying like to do stuff dark or when it's just being fun. I'm, I think those people... Those people who don't like the movie are giving the movie too hard of a time. Like, even we're being a little bit too critical on a movie that's, like, it's not meant to be serious. It's not meant to, like, you know, you're, you're not walking in thinking, like, you're walking into, like, a an Oscar-winning movie, like, with a deep plot. Like, you're walking in to watch a Cruella DeVille movie. Let's be realistic. They did the job. No, that's that, that's fair. I, I mean, I, I certainly think they did about all you can ask of it, and it does feel a little weird over criticizing something that, at the end of the day, is for kids. But I just think there, there is plenty to like here for older people like us too. So um, I think it's le- it is less for kids than um, people are giving it credit for, just because it's a Disney Plus movie. It's not meant for kids necessarily. Like it probably has an audience for children, but it's meant for people like us who grew up with the characters. Yeah. Is there uh, is there anything else about it that we haven't touched on that you want to talk about? Hmm. I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, it's, it's, you know, I don't think we need, again, we don't need to think about it too hard because it's just, it's just a fun movie, but I want to make sure I didn't uh, skip over anything. No, honestly, like, I really was trying to think about it. You know, it's, I'm going to just go back to, like, my previous point. It's not that deep of a movie. It doesn't need to be. So there's not really that deep of a converse. I mean, like, we could delve into it if you want, like, on color schemes and things, but I'm not going to do that on, you know, a podcast like this. I feel like, this is not like a thesis statement on colorism in in film. I think that it's just, I, this movie could have been way worse. I mean, like, I want to honestly think about how bad this movie could have been. <laughs> and how every single time I saw a trailer, I had like a gut feeling in my stomach that this movie was just going to like, I want it to be good, but man, it's just going to be awful. So 
with that in mind and going into the movie like this, it exceeded my expectations, like, massively. I, I really, I was preparing for, like, just eating weird, I, I don't know, like, just watching something that just didn't gel with the mood that I was thinking of. And especially because the character is, if you really think about it, Coral Deville is a fashion icon. So you want to watch a movie at the same time that can maybe highlight that, even though she's an evil, like, okay, just to clarify, evil human being, total sociopath. I mean, <laughs> Like, she's a villain when you think about it. But at the same time, she built a fashion empire and she looks pretty decent. Like, I, they don't even characterize her in a way that looks, you know, grotesque. She just looks like any other model did if they were aged out. Like, if you look at Twiggy in 2020, it's about the same. So I personally, you know, with that in mind, I, I think that when they really are depicting somebody like a Cruella de Vila as like us, sexy uh, fashionista that's really what i was gaming for and i'm really happy that they did it they just they didn't turn it into a joker type movie they didn't turn it into sociopath gone wild because of the pressures of you know society but I, I'm, I'm worried that's what the next one could be if you got to get her to the puppy killing point and then she has to she succumbs to all the trauma she's had in her past and the pressures of building her empire you know that could oh, be that, the sequel that's level three of disney that's you know when like versus like when toys have feelings when feelings have feelings <laughs> like when like the existential existence that you have for yourself has feelings like that's that's the level three for disney <laughs> fair enough okay uh well i agree i still agree with every, um a lot of what you said and that like it's just they really did it, and they made the fun movie, and they, uh, I think they got the character in a way that was just incredibly watchable, and kudos to Emma Stone and the writers and the directors and the costume people and everyone for that. Uh, some of the, the, those tech people are going to be uh, getting some hardware or at least getting nominated for Oscars, so uh, good for them. Uh, Maya, before we sign off, anything else you want to plug? Anything else you've been watching? Anything else like that? Well, we were talking about Aline Brosh McKenna, so I think it would be really appropriate to bring up that crazy, my crazy ex-girlfriend or crazy ex-girlfriend, um, which I stumbled upon one day. And it is actually... Well, that, seem, that seems like very much your thing. I actually never watched the last season, but it does seem like it'd be up your alley. Can I tell you, I have a story. I am so shocked it took me so long to watch this show. I should have heard about it before. It just it flew under the radar because when it came out, like... I was already like, I wasn't no longer, you know, doing theater things. I was, you know, working. And so a lot of my theater friends sort of like dropped off the map. So I never heard about it through those circles, um, which would have been the only circles that I would have watched this show. And I, I went to the Stoneman Douglas um, concert that they had right after the attacks and she performed there. So I have no context whatsoever as to who this person is. I just a person who introduces herself as Rachel and people are like applauding <laughs> and they're doing a song about having a fuck ton of cats. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, what am I watching right now? Fast forward to about a month ago where I stumble on this show and like, I think I got distracted on my phone, which if you know me, that is so not like me. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I had all the time. <laughs> I get distracted on my phone and it stays on there and then it starts playing like the preview. And like I said, I never would have watched the show otherwise, but Netflix insisted that I would love it. And here is this girl, this Jewish girl from New York who is uh, a lawyer, but also loves theater and moves to California for a boy. And I'm like, what am I watching? I just need to pause and watch it. Mm -hmm. And that was, the last month and I just finished it right before I watched Cruella and mm. I feel like an era of my life has ended. It was fantastic. I'm glad you mentioned that movie or that show because I mean I did watch the first three seasons back in like 2018 or so 
and I think at that they were all on like they might have all been on Netflix already or Hulu. I don't know. But then I just forgot to start DVRing the last season, and it, it was I didn't feel like using um, CW's uh, like streaming service, and I was just so I just kind of kind of fell behind because I didn't have like easy access to it because their streaming service wasn't good, and I just like I never got back to it. I, I, I never no one ever was like you have to watch the last season. It was good. I didn't know a ton of people that watched it, but now I just kind of googled it while you were talking, and I see it's on Netflix, so I can easily go watch the last season. Yeah. So. And you must. And if Rachel Bloom ever listens to this podcast, I would be honored if you would act in the television show I will inevitably write about my life. Please play me. I'm bugging you. Like, I have never feel, felt myself so channeled in a character in my life. I was having a crisis the entire time watching this show that she would just say things. I'm like, I thought this. Why is she stealing my thoughts? <laughs> uh, very good recommendation. Again, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on Netflix. I'm not going to be long with my recommendation, but next week we'll be talking about A Quiet Place 2. I saw it last week in a theater, and a lot of people, other people did too. It was kind of like the best debut weekend like it's gonna it made almost more in its debut weekend than like tenant made the whole time it ran in theaters last year it, it did better for its budget than like anything else that's been released so far so i think it's a good sign of things to come with theaters and it's a very good movie to watch in the theaters obviously if you, you saw the first one you kind of know that and it's just a, a very tense atmosphere and it's probably good to see that in a theater if you are safe to do so because uh you know when it's a movie that's largely about building tension through a lot of things being quiet it's probably better to do that in a dark theater where in theory your fellow moviegoers should be quiet as opposed to at home where you have other external stimuli that could distract you and kind of take you out of the moment so highly recommend watching a quiet place too which i really enjoyed and it was a good theater going experience and we will be talking about it next week on the podcast with my friend graham so uh maya thanks again as always for joining maya's a blank book so i'm not having her plug her social media she's you know, she she's off the grid uh uh, but uh, as usual, I'm Josh Jernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter and Letterboxd. Uh, podcast Twitter is at Rewind Movie Pod. Podcast email is therewindmoviepod at gmail.com. As I said, coming up next week, A Quiet Place 2. But in about a month, Maya will be joining us to talk about a Marvel movie that isn't The Incredible Hulk for the first time in like over two years, which is wild. Uh, or about exactly two years. It'll be like exactly two years since the last Spider-Man movie at that point, which is wild. But we'll have Black Maya back for Black Widow. So it just went five months without Maya, but you're going to see a lot of her before the end of the year because they're, Marvel's going ahead with this plan of releasing four Marvel movies in six months. So Yeah, it's going to be like Christmas every single day for me. I'm really excited. Yeah, so uh, you're going to have like two movies or three movies kicking each other out of theaters. It's just going to be a ton of Marvel. I'm almost done with my Marvel rewatch, which has been going on since like Thanksgiving, but I'm, I'm finally getting to end game. So have, uh, have, have you started watching any of the TV shows yet? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I kept up weekly with um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and with WandaVision. So I'm, I'm, I'm up to date on that stuff. I know Loki's going to come out next week. So that'll be in the middle of airing when we talk about Black Widow. And I mean, there's so many others that are like further down the pike that I don't think I've like started filming yet that have been announced. But like, I know um, Hawkeye's um, already filmed, and I'm very excited for that because they cast my girl Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop. And yeah, they did. So I'm I'm very excited for that. That that'll be later this year, and we'll I'm sure we'll we'll when we have Black Widow next month, we'll be uh, and and I think some of the Black Widow characters are going to be in the Hawkeye thing. So I know Florence Pugh is in Black Widow, and apparently she's in Hawkeye too. So um, this is also in my heart. She's amazing. <laughs> same. And so uh, going to be a lot of stuff tying that all together. So I'm sure we'll cover that with Maya in about a month when we talk about uh, Black Widow. So Maya, thanks again for joining. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time.